a lot of us, when we look at a plant, we will not have a clue of what it can do. It can do amazing things. Plant agriculture is the next big thing because with the growing population of this world, we have the opportunity to feed the world. Because that's a big challenge. That's a big challenge. Welcome to Cross-Pollination, a show about creatively cross-pollinating field skills and knowledge to do things differently. We're a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. This week, the plant father. Those are the sounds of plants. Not plants screaming as they're about to be eaten by a herd of ravenous vegans, just plants waving their leaves, thrashing in the wind, and photosynthesizing. Plants are in the background for most of us, but they're the backbone of the Earth's food systems. We eat them where their fibers turn them into medicines, and sometimes we even still read and write on paper from trees. Jaron Victor has never been short of plant admiration. He's a plant scientist and tissue culture expert who's the proud plant father of millions and millions of little green seedlings. Jaron believes on a planet with nearly 8 billion of us to feed, plants are pretty important. In this episode, he tells us about his own story of creativity in the lab, how new tissue culture techniques are helping to conserve disappearing traditional medicine species, and how those techniques can be used to bring new kinds of plants to market much sooner, including ones that can resist pests and be useful in the context of climate change. Jaron is also a cross-pollinator whose journey has taken him through three countries. He's both an expert and now a doctoral candidate all over again, and his story is about reinventing yourself and your work through many iterations in many places. Jaron is based in Washington State in the U.S., and his plant story begins with tea, English roses, and an unexpected detour from a destination called medical school. Both my grandparents were uh, managers of tea estates in southern India. So most of the uh, English breakfast teas and things that it all came from South India or um, Sri Lanka, Assam. So so I I grew up in that environment, and my my grandma was a very very uh, avid gardener, and she loved to garden uh, English roses. Her garden was full of roses and other vegetables and things, and um, she had a very good uh, garden. So I was, I was exposed very, in a very young age in gardening. I always had beautiful gardens after my, you know, following my grandma's footsteps. Even though I got admitted to medical school, I couldn't go to medical school. So second option was, at that time, I had to think quickly and plant science and pharmaceutical um, uh, benefits of plants, some of the plants, I thought, well, that, that's a good second option and I can still uh, do some service and got into plant science and finished my graduate work in University of Guelph, Canada. At that time, I was exposed to a lot of independent research work, like the professor I worked with he encouraged a lot of um, creative, independent thinking and never put me in a box. So I was left alone to roam around, think free. I was able to do a lot of free, uh, things in a brief, uh, in, during a brief assignment in the university, um, mostly with medicinal plants. And one of the things 
I was able to do is develop systems where you can take a leaf or a piece of tissue and make millions of uh, plants from that piece of tissue within a very, very short period of time. Where at, at that time, people were struggling with how to uh, propagate valuable plants in, in agriculture, medicine, ornamentals, everything. So felt very good about it because some of my work resulted in uh, good funding for the departments and also for uh, opportunities for future graduate students. Jaron's creativity in the lab led to his next move in plant propagation to the U.S., the corporate world, forestry, and a tree called a loblolly pine. Other than a really fun-sounding word, what is a loblolly pine? That was a time where, you know, deforestation was talked about a lot. And to produce paper, pulp, um, we need lots and lots and lots of trees and and their fiber. So what International Paper did was they had a very good breeding program where they developed some fast-growing trees. Loblolly pine, pine in, the, in the wild, it takes 60 to 80 years to mature. They developed some varieties uh, that can come to maturity and um, good fiber uh, qualities at about 20 to 25 years. So the thought behind that development was that if they could plant those trees in, a, in, in their land, they don't have to go uh, cut down forests. Um, this tree, once uh, you know, kept in a rotation, will provide all the fiber they, that they want uh, without touching natural forests. So that is what the eucalyptus and the pine and cottonwood um, program was about. So growing certain trees faster meant that less land and fewer new areas might be impacted by forestry activities, and hopefully deforestation could be reduced. Growing lots of these new, fast-growing trees quickly is one of the cool things new tissue culture techniques could do. Part of the reason it's possible is a very cool capability of plants. Totipotency. Plants' ability to do what multicellular animals, and certainly humans, can't. Reproduce themselves from any piece of tissue. Every single cell of a plant can become a complete plant. So it's called totipotency, totipotent. So every cell, every cell can form a complete plant. Animal cells cannot do that. That's a big difference between plant cell and animal cell. Animal cells cannot produce a complete animal from one cell. Plant cell, a single cell can produce a complete. So you take that concept and provide appropriate growth regulators in controlled conditions in the lab. Every single cell and a, and a, leaf, a small piece of leaf can have a million cells. So a small piece of leaf, you provide the right conditions in the lab, sterile conditions, and the right growth hormones. Each of the cell will produce a plant. And that is the basic technique that we use in the lab. And each plant is different. Each plant, you have to provide a different set of growth regulators based on the need. So from one piece of leaf, you can produce a million plants. It just amazes me every single time to look at one of those containers and say, how much plants and that, that can develop in that short period of time in that vessel? So that speaks volumes of the potential of that 
a living thing. A lot of us, when we look at a plant, we will not have a clue of what it can do. It can do amazing things. Since we're talking about plants in this episode, it seems appropriate to mention Christina, who's a foodie with a passion for healthy, casual vegan food. With a business plan in mind for a health-conscious eatery, she reached out to ATB. After being introduced to a manager of entrepreneurship, she was happy to find that not only did he support her dream, but he was excited about it too. And let's face it, it's not always that easy to find someone excited about eating your greens. To hear more about Christina's story, visit atb.com slash Christina with a K and visit ATB's Build Her Business Facebook page to get inspired and learn about crowdfunding for women entrepreneurs. A million plants is pretty amazing, and to be clear, it doesn't involve genetic modification. It's relatively conventional plant breeding on a massive scale. But what do you do with a million plants? Ones where you can be assured they're identical as opposed to plants grown from seed. Well, uniformity is important if, as Darren says, you want to use them in agriculture to ensure similar characteristics like nutrient content or drought resistance, or for pharmaceuticals to be sure you can get predictable amounts of essential chemicals. Darren's plant propagation career has taken him through forestry, ornamentals, and into the medicinal realm. Here he talks about developing new techniques for fast-growing bamboos with many different uses. You want to avoid variation in agriculture situation or pharmaceutical situation. So if you have a unique plant with unique qualities, you cannot harvest. You, if, if you harvest the seeds of the plant and propagate, there will be a lot of variation. So that's why you want to... T- clone the plant or propagate the plant by tissue culture. So each copy is, is exactly the same. If you're a plant breeder and you have a unique plant and you think that it is of commercial value, you know, it has a beautiful flower, um, a, a bigger flower, what, whatever it is that you, you think that that plant has. <clears throat> Traditionally, if you want to um, bring that plant to the market, it takes anywhere from 8 to 10 years to bring the plant to market from the time you identify the plant. It's, you know, most of the time, this is why breeders suffer in bringing new varieties to the market. So with tissue culture techniques, you can bring the same plant to the market in two to three years. Bamboo is one of the fastest growing woody grass. And so the idea was um, instead of trees, Bamboos could be cultivated, and the, instead of 25 years rotation, you can harvest bamboo anywhere from 5 to 10, 10 years and, and produce fiber for paper, for textile. Um, the, 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 the opportunities are, were endless. At that time when I started, there was no known propagation methods for uh, forestry bamboo in large scale. So... I applied some of the techniques that I learned and used uh, for the trees and came up with um, technology where I can produce millions of plants in a small area in a lab. A lot of textiles, beautiful textiles, are made from bamboo fiber and same thing, um, paper and other other furniture and everything else. Again, it, 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 it focuses on a solution to deforestation. So from deforestation and quick-growing bamboo to traditional medicines, how does modern plant propagation technology help make traditional medicine plants and other plants with medicinal potential available for research to investigate their effects and their possible value? 
the idea behind um, using uh, studying medicinal plants is that a lot of medicinal plants in the tropics are uh, listed endangered. And there are several programs in universities and other um, pharmaceutical companies where they struggle to uh, preserve and save these uh, these plants, unique plants, uh, these germplasm for for uh, research and future use. So, uh, one of the programs I developed was germplasm storage of um, endangered medicinal plants, uh, and also mass propagation of these medicinal plants to be used in for uh, used for pharmaceutical industries. <clears throat> it's, it's, it's a little story. Um, so this plant grows in paddy, um, among paddy fields in, in India. And, oh, the, the plant's name is Philanthus neruri. It's, called. It's, a, it's a small herbaceous plant. So when, when, um, when kids get jaundice, what they do is they crush the leaves, the complete plant, and it's a very, very bitter plant, very bitter to taste. So, uh, and that is one of the things that... Um, uh, it's used in Ayurvedic medicine for, for the cure of jaundice. Since that is seed propagated, there is so much, so much variation. So that's one thing that I was able to um, screen and find unique germplasm off that particular plant and save for um, uh, medicinal research. So that's one, one, one quick example. Another one, here's an example of what I wasn't able to do. Um, the same jaundice, there was another plant, and I, know, I, don't, I don't even know the name. When I was a child, you know, a kid, um, five, six years old, I had jaundice, and my parents, we went for the Western medicine, it didn't work well, whatever. And then my parents heard of this uh, particular Ayurvedic doctor, a grandma in a village, uh, who was curing jaundice in a day. So... Uh, they took me to her, and and the experience was very unique. So she took a bunch of plants and crushed it, and she wouldn't reveal the name of the plant. It's all secret. And she tied it up in a piece of um, cloth and tied it um, under my arm and told uh, her assistant, told my parents that, okay, remove this cloth tomorrow, and jaundice will be cured. Well... We went, and next day, um, removed the cloth, and there was um, blisters on, on that spot I had, and with a lot of yellow liquid uh, in the blisters. And then the blisters broke, um, and, and then we went for follow-up uh, checkups with, uh, with our um, family doctor. Well, jaundice was gone. Call it a miracle, call it, call it whatever you want, but the point I'm making is that that plant is gone. It's extinct. That grandma died. Uh, it was tribal knowledge. Nobody knew what those plants are, or very few people knew that they didn't share. It's gone. So things like this in Ayurvedic medicine happens all the time, all the time. So right now, what, the professor that I um, went to, uh, my advisor in grad school, he's in a, Dr. Praveen Saxena, he's in a hurry to collect these plants from wherever and bring it to his lab. And this is a program that we started in the 90s, and he's still so active, and he's collecting plants, figuring out how to uh, store them in tissue culture in liquid nitrogen, which is cryopreservation, for, so we can preserve these plants for generations to come. 
um, I get to participate in some of those conversations and debate, and, and I get to share my techniques of how mass propagation works. So it's kind of like a mutual kind of a collaboration and benefit between um, his lab and me in bringing some of these plants into research. One of the other interesting applications for plant tissue culture is in propagating plants that need fewer pesticides and can resist disease better, or perhaps resist drought or tolerate higher salt levels in the soil. As climate change alters growing patterns in different places, those kinds of plants could be important in helping adapt to changing weather patterns. You develop plants or you breed plants that are resistant to certain diseases. For example, um, you know, powdery mildew or downy mildew type thing. Those are, those are fungal diseases. And there are varieties of plants that are resistant to those diseases. Um, and then when such um, varieties are developed by a breeder, again, um, if that breeder has to go by the traditional methods of propagation, it'll take him or her 10 years, 15 years to get, get that um, variety commercialized. So we, nobody will realize the benefits of the plant right away. So with, with the techniques that I use, you can take that superior plant and bring it to market very, very quickly and thereby uh, reducing pesticide use um, in the fields uh, to, a, to a great uh, extent. So innovation in plant propagation techniques to bring disease-resistant plants to market faster. And speaking of plants that require fewer pesticides, and just because bees are part of our logo on this podcast, we thought the pollinating bee rental business was pretty interesting. It's used literally to pollinate crops that might start their lives in the lab. The value of bee pollination for agricultural crops in Canada alone is estimated at $2 billion. It's cross-pollination at work. We actually bring in honeybees or bumblebees from California to Florida. They come in big trucks. Farmers rent them for a period of time. They come in big boxes. They will release these bees during the flowering time in the middle of these fields. They will pollinate. They'll help pollinate these trees um, and crops because there is very, very low population of uh, beneficial uh, pollinators in the local area because of repeated pesticide, insecticide use. So right now, we are in a general practice where we are renting honeybees and bumblebees to pollinate. Looking ahead, I asked Jaron what's been the most interesting part of his plant science career. Surprisingly, it's not always been about the plants and often about the people and the careers he's been able to impact and what those new plant propagators will be able to do in the future. In a measure of your success, I, I say, well, I created uh, 20 jobs. They say, that's a bad word in corporate America because you're supposed to reduce labor and increase the automation, blah, blah, blah. Well, of course I did. I also did automation and all that stuff, but I also um, created 15 skilled jobs, uh, high-paying jobs. Well, their families and their children are well off. Well, end of the day for me, whatever it is, that's what it is about. Sit and think about it. The biggest satisfaction or happiness I have is that I was able to influence so many other youngsters in this industry, and a lot of them are career professionals in this industry, and they're doing amazing things. So something my grandma very innocently did, 
I grew up and I have created so much career opportunities for so many people. And they are in turn creating so many opportunities for so many other people. They are um, lab technicians or uh, chemical technicians, um, <clears throat> production supervisors, operation managers, things like that. And that is the influence somebody can do to a child. If a child is influenced positively, that child has amazing potential, just like a plant cell. One of my passion is to mentor young people. All it takes is that motivation and some, some assistance and some advice. And then I get to stand back and watch them do wonders. And an introvert from India, a kid so shy and whatever, how do you survive in North America, let alone thrive? And oh my goodness, the things that I was able to do in the lives of, in, in my career, the changes that I could was able to make in a lot of people's lives, it's pretty cool. It's really, really cool. Rather than, you know, I, I was what, at one time I said, okay, I want to be in, in medic, medical school. That's great. But later on, I was so glad that I was able to figure out that I was, I want to be in service. So, so the profession I was able to choose and move forward I still was able to bring the service component in that, in that profession. So, end of the day, I was not disappointed that I, I didn't go to medicine and do all the things that I wanted to do. Till I was able to do the service, till I w was able to do something in the ph pharmaceutical industry still, and still I'm doing, there are a lot more things to do. So it is important to, to know what end of the day other than the, the, the financial, um, you know, aspect of things, what would end of the day really, really make you satisfied? Especially for people who come into this career uh, in, in, in the plant uh, sciences or um, plant agriculture is the next big thing because with a growing population of this world, we, ha we have the opportunity, opportunity to field uh, I mean, feed the world, because that's a big challenge. That's a big challenge. Uh, fortunately, uh, North America is blessed with a lot of land and uh, lower population. A lot of other um, 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 parts of the world is not. So this profession will feed the world. It, it, it already is, and it will become one of the most important careers of the next century. You heard it here first. Developing new techniques to investigate old medicines, solving new agricultural challenges, cross-pollinating across continents, and leaving a legacy that impacts the work you love. If you enjoyed this episode of The Plant Father, join us for our next episode with Helen Weatherly-Knight on cross-pollinating across the corporate, nonprofit, and educational sectors, collaborating to do new things with IT in the nonprofit world. If you have any comments on this episode, you can reach us at Pollinata1 on Twitter, or you can check out our website at www.crosspollination.co. As always, we appreciate your reviews and your feedback. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might like to check out our network, the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. It's a dynamic collection of Alberta-based podcasts in areas from sports to business, storytelling, social topics, pop culture, education, and more. 
You can find APN at albertapodcastnetwork.com and be sure to sign up for the newsletter so that you can stay abreast of what's happening and what events are coming up. APN is also on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, supporting your local podcasts. Yeah.